Great to see you in the house today. Hey, how many of you here have heard of Pinterest before? Raise up your hand. All right, yeah, a lot of people all about it. I think the company started in, in uh, 2009 with the idea of kind of a virtual pinup board with ideas uh, that you could share. And so now it's, a, it's the go-to place for anything about food, decorating, party, uh, party favors, just what, anything like that. You can find it all on Pinterest. My girls love it. Everybody's all about it. But if you are on there at all, you begin to realize that they, they'll give you something to create, right? Something to make. But then when you make it, it doesn't quite look like what they had on Pinterest, right? It's not, not really the same. And just to, just to make sure you understand what I'm talking about, I'm going to show you some cakes that appear on Pinterest and then what they really look like. So here's the first one here. Uh, that's, that's what it looks like on Pinterest. This is what it actually looks like right there. <laughs> Not really quite the same. Here's another one. Check this one out. Wow, that looks awesome. Little beaver. How cute is that? This is the reality of it. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's just super weird. All right, here's another one. Here's another one. Oh, who doesn't love Elmo, right? Yeah, this is Elmo when... I don't know, nuclear fallout? I don't know what, what's happening there. That's not good. Okay, uh, here's the expectation of Olaf. We love Olaf. This is Olaf's evil twin, I guess. <laughs> Oh my, here's one more, here's one more. Here's, uh, uh, you know, who doesn't love a little panda bear cupcake? Isn't that cute? This is, the, this is, this is something different. All right? I don't know what that is. So my point is that there's expectation, right? This is what I think we're gonna get. And then sometimes our experience, our reality is very different. And, and when your experience falls below your expectation, the gap in the middle is what we call disappointment, all right? We, we're disappointed. It didn't really work out the way we hoped it would work out. And we experience that all the time. You buy something online, it looks so good online, but then when you got it at home, it's, it's, it's not as good, right? Or you get an Airbnb and it looks amazing and then it's terrible or, or you're online dating and he doesn't look anything like his profile pic, all right? You know, we, we get this kind of, a disappointment all the time. But, but there are some times that people experience this in their relationship with God. They feel like, you know, hey, when I gave my life to Christ, it's supposed to be happy all the day. It's supposed to be rainbows and butterflies. And then all of a sudden life hits and it's not anything like that. And we become disappointed in life and quite honestly, disappointed with God. And you may be here like that. You may say, you know what? I just don't feel like that God's really dealt me a good hand. You know, I, I, I try to follow him. I try to love him. I try to do the right thing. And that yet all these problems are coming into my life and I'm just kind of done with it. I'm kind of over it. And, and I don't feel like God's fair to me. I don't feel like he's, he's held up his end of, of our agreement. And so I just want you to know that as being a pastor for many, many years now, Probably this is the number one issue that caused people to struggle in their walk with God. Probably the number one thing. I mean, nine out of 10 people that I talk to, they say, I'm really struggling. When you get down to it, it's because I, I tried to do the right thing and then this happened. God didn't answer my prayer. This thing fell apart. This bad thing happened to me. And so I'm done. And if you're there, I just want you to know that 
that you're not alone, that, that most of us have gone through seasons just like that. And today we're going to look at a man that struggled in this area, struggled really severely in this issue, uh, nearly walked away from the Lord as a result of it, but finally came to a place of peace and uh, to return back to the Lord. So I want you to get your Bible and want you to open it up with me to Psalm 73. Get your Bible out, open it up. You didn't bring one, there's one there. We believe in opening our Bibles, Amen. And reading our Bibles, God speaks to us through his word. So uh, open up your Bible, Psalm 73. And uh, as you're turning there, just a little background. The Psalms is broken up into five different sections or five little books within a book. Psalm 73 begins the beginning of the third section. So you might even see that in your Bible. It'll say book three. That's what that means. And the first 10 Psalms within this third section are all written by the same guy, and his name is Asaph. This Psalm is not written by David. It's written by a man named Asaph. Who is Asaph? Asaph was a Levitical priest that David assigned to oversee all the worship of God. So he had a very prominent position. Now, at this point in time in history, the Ark of the Covenant is not in the temple. There is no temple. The Ark of the Covenant is under a tent, and Israel is coming to worship God there. And Asaph was responsible for the choirs, for the instruments, for the songs, for sacrificial worship, all, all that's related to worship. He was the man on the platform. So if anybody had their act together, it was Asaph. If anybody was really walking with God and, and, and really knew what it meant to walk with the Lord, it was this guy, right? On the platform, the professional, right? And yet what we're going to find is that this guy really struggled and really nearly walked away from the Lord altogether, so let's look at it. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. Amen? God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now stop right there. He said, listen, I know God's good, okay? Before, let's just get that on the, uh, right off from the beginning. I know God's good. I know the Sunday school answer, all right? I know God's good, but, and that's, that's where it starts to turn. I know the right answer, but I nearly fell away. This idea of slipped is this idea of slipping away or losing your footing, losing your grounding. It means to fall away from the faith, to fall away from God, to turn away from God. And he said, man, I just came right to the edge of walking away from God. You're like, man, Asaph, why, you of all people, what in the world happened that brought you to this really dangerous place? And then he tells you right there. He said, verse three, I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The word prosperity there is the word shalom, the peace of the wicked, the, the prosperity, that they're at ease, the ease of of the wicked. In other words, uh, he's saying, you know, these people that don't know you, God, the people that are even hostile against you, God, man, they got their life together. <laughs> they got all the good stuff, and, and I'm struggling with that. 
He said, I envied that. The word envy can also be interchangeably used with jealousy, this idea of I want what they have. And he said, God, it just doesn't seem fair to me that here's this guy at the office that curses every other word, and yet he's getting promotion after promotion after promotion, and here I am, and I'm going to church and do the right thing. I've been overlooked 10 times. That doesn't seem fair to me. Why is he getting all the good stuff and I'm not? And that's, that's a struggle that Asaph is really dealing with. Their life is a cakewalk and mine is not. And it doesn't seem fair. And listen, we can, we can find this all the time in our own life. And you get on Instagram and man, look at where they're going and look at what they're doing. And, and how come we don't get to do that? And how come God hasn't blessed us like that? And, and why are they prospering and, and I'm not? It's easy to fall into that trap. Before we move any further, let me just say that God really warns us against comparing our lives to others, okay? Let me give you a couple of verses to write in the margin of your Bible, okay? Get your pen out. Write this in the margin of your Bible. Proverbs 14.30. Proverbs 14.30 says, envy makes the bones rot. <laughs> I mean, it's just inside. It just grinds away at you when you're constantly comparing or envying somebody else. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. The Apostle Paul says, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. Listen, we're not over here comparing, well, your life is better than mine or mine better than yours. In fact, I've noticed that anytime I get into the comparison mode, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody, when I get into that, one of two bad things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be prideful because I got it better than you, or I'm going to be envious because you have it better than me. Both of them are bad. Both of them are not good. And so the whole comparison really is just a, uh, it's so tempting and it's so in front of us and many ways so much all around us and yet it is so dangerous to your spiritual walk with God. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt who said, comparison is a thief of joy. And that's really true. I, when I compare, I just cannot enjoy what I have and what God has given me. And so here is Asaph and he's just has no joy. He's disappointed with God because he sees all the life of these people that do not know him that seem to be prospering. In fact, he, um, he describes them in the next several verses. So look at it. Verse four, he said, they have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness and imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them. The wicked, they're always at ease, and they increase their wealth. Man, that's quite a description, by the way, isn't it? I mean, he's like, man, they're just—they're not missing any meals. They're—they're—they're uh, they're, they're, just—they're—they're—they've got it all together. They, they eat good, they look good, they have the goods. I mean, they just got—they got the the easy life, and here I am, and I'm struggling. And that what's worse, I mean, this is, you can just hear him just going, and by the way, God, 
have you heard what these people are saying? They're like, where's God? You know, you don't need God. God is an opium for the masses. You know, you don't need God in your life. And, and they're just mocking you, God. And all these people drink in their words. It, it reminds me of the Instagram or social media influencer that has millions of followers and everybody's drinking in everything they say, but they don't say anything good about God. And everyone's hanging on their every word. It's like, God, it just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. And then look at, look at what he says after that. Look at verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Uh, for I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. I mean, now, now he's really getting down to the heart of it. I mean, am I wasting my time here, God? Am I wasting my time trying to do the right thing when it doesn't really matter because... <laughs> These other guys are going to get the promotions anyway. Their, their life's going to be great anyway. Am I, why, am I wasting my time going to church? Why don't I even go to church anyway? Why don't I even read my Bible anyway? Why don't I even pray anyway? It doesn't really matter because they're going to keep getting the good stuff and I'm going to keep getting the bad stuff. I might as well just chunk it all and go live like them. It seems to be working for them. Have you ever thought that? I mean, you may not have ever said it out loud. In fact, that kind of leads me to the next verse. Look at verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. But when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. In other words, God, I, I, I'm not saying this. I'm going, I, you know, here's Asaph. I'm going to do the worship thing. I'm going to be on the platform. I'm going to do my thing. But God, I just don't get it. And he said, when I tried to figure these things out and try to understand why God allows good things to happen to bad people and bad things to happen to good people, I just couldn't figure it out. He said, I felt hopeless. That word hopeless is the Hebrew word amal, which, which can be translated trouble or pain. In other words, I felt troubled inside. I just churned on the inside. This was a painful thing for me, he said. I mean, I'm up, on, I'm up at night. I, I can't even read my Bible. I mean, and I, I know people, they get to this point, they go, okay, I just can't read this anymore. I can't go to church anymore. I can't listen anymore because none of this makes sense to me. And until I can get this straight in my head, I'm not doing it at all. I'm done. I'm done. And I've known people that have walked out those doors and they haven't been back because of this very issue. It's not fair. Why has God allowed this to happen? In my, why didn't he answer my prayer? Why didn't he move when I cried, cried out to him? When I needed him to come through, how come this thing didn't happen? And what is at the core of this resentment, this bitterness, this struggle, this disappointment? What, why is it that we feel it? And, and so I want to just kind of stop here for a minute, just kind of settle into this, because I think this is really important. All of us are going to go through this. And if you're not dealing with it, you're dealing with somebody who is. I think at the core of it is a, is a misunderstanding of what I call a contract. Well, I'm going to put this in air quotes. Contract with God. Okay. Contract with God idea. The contract with God idea says this, I'm going to give my life to Christ, I'm going to, try, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to do the good thing, I'm going to try to live a per, you know, good life, I mean, not perfect, right, but I'm going to live a good life, and God, you're going to uh, bless me and go before me and, and provide for me and do all these great things, and that's our agreement, kind of when I give my life to Christ, we're going to shake on it, and that's our agreement, this is our contract, 
We're going to agree to these terms. And so we kind of approach God uh, like that. I'm not going to have sex before marriage or you're going to give me a perfect spouse. Uh, I'm not going to cheat at work and you're going to promote me. I'm not going to run with the bad crowd at school and you're going to give me great grades. Uh, I'm not going to uh, party on the weekends and then God, you're going to do good things in my life. We kind of have this this agreement. Uh, there's a legal term, quid pro quo. Quid pro quo means uh, it's Latin for something for something. And so I'm going to give you something, you're going to give me something and that's kind of our agreement. And, and so we kind of come into our relationship with God like that. And then so we, so you try to do your part, right? So you're going to church, you're, you're trying to read your Bible when you, when you can, and you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to be a good dad, good mom. You're trying to, you're going through, and then all of a sudden life happens. Trouble comes. Marriage unravels. Kids are, have a drug problem. I get laid off in my work. Somebody criticizes me, says bad things about me. I'm, going, I'm struggling through depression. I, I've got a, a good friend that betrays me. Something bad, some crisis happens. And then they go, see, God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. We had a deal. I held up my end. I tried to do the right thing. And he didn't hold up his end of the deal. And so I'm done. And, and they charge God with breach of contract. Because God, you did not hold up your end of the bargain. Now, they don't say those words, but that, when you peel it back, that's where you get to. So what's wrong with this? Well, at the core of it, I really think that this breach of contract idea is really more of an uh, Old Testament way of looking at God. All right? it, it, it sounds more like law. Right? It sounds more like uh, Moses on Mount Ebal in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 when he talks about blessings and curses. And if you, if you live with God in a certain way, then you'll be blessed. And if you don't, then there's a curse. And, and so there's this uh, very transactional approach. On, You're going to do these things and you don't. Then this bad thing is going to happen to you. That sounds very Old Testament-like. But it is a misunderstanding of the gospel. So let me just remind you of what the gospel is, and then I think it's going to help you to see this a little differently. The gospel is very clearly, uh, very clear that you and I have sinned against God. We've gone our own way. We've lost our way. You're, you're not as good as you think you are. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to say turn to the neighbor and say that because that would be weird. But just receive it, all right, for just a minute. You're not that good. Well, when I go to church, what well, does not matter? I mean, you're, you're at the core of sin against God. If anybody broke the contract, it's you and me. And by the way, I'm not just pointing fingers at you. I'm involved in this. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us have lost our own way and gone our own way. All of us have rebelled against God. I was reading, uh, gosh, I was reading Psalm 78 this week. And Psalm 78, that's your homework assignment. Go read Psalm 78, okay? But in Psalm 78, it's an historical psalm that goes through the history of Israel. And I'm not, I don't have time to go over it. I'm not preaching Psalm 78, all right? But just bear with me here for a minute. He talks about how God took them out of Egypt. And it says, but the people rebelled against him. And then God blessed him, but the people rebelled against him. And it's like over and over and over and over and over that God gave grace and mercy and they lied to him and, and they turned from him and they would not believe him and they would not accept him over and over and over. 
And it's just, after I'm reading this, I'm just rubbing my bald head. I'm like, golly, man, smokes, this is crazy. I mean, how could they do that? And then all of a sudden I realize I'm looking in a mirror. That's me. How many times has God been good to me? And I just do my own thing and I, you know, I, I, I react in anger or I, I, I'm tempted in some area or I, I respond in the flesh. I was just, man, it's so easy to point the fingers on somebody else and not realize that's, that's me. That's all of us. If anybody broke the contract, if anybody could not be perfect under the law, it's us. And that's the bad news. We deserve nothing but judgment according to that agreement. But the good news is, this is where you get to the gospel. The good news is that even when we broke the contract and we deserve judgment, and that's what that contract would call for, that God's love toward you was too great for that. And he pursued us, and he sent his own son, Jesus, and Jesus was the only perfect one, the only one that fulfilled the law. Matthew 5, 17, fulfilled the law completely. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled the law completely. The only one who walked this earth in perfection according to the law of God. He kept the contract completely. And yet, because of his innocence, he was able to absorb your sin, to take on your sin and my sin and your rebellion and my rebellion, your hostility and my hostility, your selfishness and my selfishness, your waywardness and my waywardness, and take it on himself. And, and our terrible crime record was, was transferred to Jesus' record and our uh, accruing debt of sin was transferred to his account and he died in your place and in my place to redeem us from the law, to provide a way for us to be redeemed and renewed and forgiven and to start over again. So Christ died for our sins. Not only did he die, but he rose. Not only did he rise again, but he ascended. Not only did he ascend, but he's at the right hand of the Father. Not only is he at the right hand, but he's coming again soon. By the way, I said soon. All right, he's coming again. All right, so this is the gospel. And we got to remind ourselves this. Why is this important? Because when I was in college, I'm in the business school. I'm in the back of a room that seats about 300 people. Don't judge me because I was in the back of the room. I was doing my work, all right? And I'm looking at what the, what the professor is writing. I'm like, I cannot see that. I remember turning to the person next to me and said, man, can you see that? I cannot, I cannot read anything. They handed me glasses, and I put them on. I was like, whoa. Man, I, I could see. <laughs> I, I, listen, up to this point, I didn't know that other people could see, right? I thought, I thought everybody was fuzzy like me. Right? I thought that's just the way it was. And then all of a sudden I put these glasses on, I can, I can clearly see what he's writing on the board. I'm like, wow, I had no idea that my vision was so fuzzy. Here's the deal, when we, when we try to make sense of this world in our own flesh, that doesn't seem right. Why are they getting that and I'm not getting that and God somehow messed this thing up because he's not treating me right and it, it all looks fuzzy. And it creates resentment and anger in our own hearts. But when we put the lens of the gospel on, we go, oh, I can see now. I can see clearly what's happening. And Asaph comes to, 
He has this turning moment. Look at verse 17. This is his pivot moment. Verse 16, he's angry. Verse 16, he's embittered. He's hopeless. And then verse 17, until I entered God's sanctuary. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't just simply mean he went into the building. It means that uh, he said, I came into God's presence. I started to worship God again. I started to, some people even think that that's a reference to the, the sacredness of Scripture. It's kind of interesting. I came into God's sacred place. And he said, then I began to see everything in life from God's perspective and not my perspective. He put on his gospel lenses. And he said, now I begin to see what's going on here. And Asaph comes down to two observations and one conclusion. If you're taking notes, here are two observations and one conclusion. Observation number one is this. Life without Christ is a slippery slope. Look at verse 17. Till I entered God's sanctuary, then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one walking or waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. He begins to understand how the life of those that are far from God are really precarious. He says, I, they're on slippery places. I don't know if you've ever been like on the roof, like if you have a pretty steep pitch on your roof, ever, and, and you're like, whoa, man, I, I, I could slip off this thing so easy. That's the idea. He said, man, you put them on slippery ground. You put them on, I mean, they, they, they think they got it all going on, man. We're, woo we're living our life. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's gonna come to a sudden stop. That's what he's saying. And they're going to stand before God just like everybody else. And they're going to give an account for their life just like everybody else. And apart from Christ, they'll suffer the weight of their own sin. He said, I understand that now. In 2017, uh, the uh, Academy Awards were giving out the biggest award of the night. Of course, uh, at that time, La La Land had run away with tons of Academy Awards. Uh, but now it came to the end of the evening, and they're going to give away the, the big award, the Best Picture Award. And so everyone was on pins and needles. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And Warren Beatty came out and had a lady with him, and they opened up the card, and they read, La La Land has won Big Picture. And, of course, the music plays, and La La Land has won nine Academy Awards so far. And they start giving all the stats, and all the actors flood onto the stage, all the producers, all the directors, and they're hugging and kissing and celebrating, and they're, and they're just euphoric, right? They won the best picture, right? They're on top of the world. And so the producer starts giving his speech and gratitude and so on and, and how great it is, and they're just reveling in the light of it. And then something happens unexpected. A guy comes out in the middle of the stage with a headset on. They're starting to huddle up and have some discussion. And then it becomes clear that they made a mistake. And it wasn't La La Land who won Best Picture. It was Moonlight, the movie Moonlight, the one best picture. And so they tell the producer of La La Land, and of course he's a little upset about it. And finally he holds out the card that says Moonlight won Best Picture. And you can see the look on his face. He's not very happy about it. And, and, and he keeps saying, people are in the audience are like, what's going on? Is this a joke? Are they making, and he keeps saying, this is not a joke. This is not a joke. 
that's the picture of what those that are living it up here. It's like that two minutes of fame. Woo, we're living it up. And then all of a sudden, nope, you're answering to God. The very God you mocked, the very God that you walked away from, you will give an account for your life. And listen, my friends, this is not a joke. It's a reality. And ASAP began to realize, whew, man, I was envying these folks. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not on this road. Observation number two. Life with Christ is secure. Life with Christ is secure. Look at verse 21. When I became embittered in my innermost being, I was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was like an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you. You hold my hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up to glory. In other words, he said, Lord, you know, when I, when I was struggling with all this, I just couldn't think straight, man. I, just, I didn't have my gospel glasses on. I was just trying to make sense of it all, and I was just so embittered, and I was, like, I was like my dog. My dog doesn't sit around thinking about eschatology, all right? My dog doesn't sit around thinking about the meaning of life. You know, he just, he's just eating what's in front of him and sleeping, that's all he does. He goes, I was kind of like that. I was just so wrapped up in the immediate. I wasn't looking back, God, at your plan, but he said, now that I put on these gospel lenses, I get it. I get the, the final end of those who reject you, and I also see that I am secure in you. He said, they're on a slippery slope, but you have me by your right hand. You're holding me. Their life goes to ruin, but, but you're guiding me in my life. Yeah, I don't have all the promotions. I don't have all the stuff. It doesn't matter. This stuff's going away like that anyway. This life on this planet is a breath. It is a, it is a, uh, it is a vapor. It is over like that. Does anybody agree that this life goes by fast? Somebody in here tell me, do you agree with that? So fast. And, and he said, that stuff doesn't matter. He goes, and, and by the way, they go down to destruction. And he said, you're taking me to glory. <laughs> Man, God, I just, whoa, what the contrast of what I was envying them. And look where they're headed. And look where I'm headed. And God, what you've done in my life. And, and so he's observing the reality that in Christ is true security. In Christ there's true meaning. And that drives him, those two observations drive him to one conclusion. Here it is. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. Look at verse 25. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. Those last few verses in this song are some of the most precious, tender, worshipful verses in the Psalms. And he finally comes to the conclusion, God, I'm sorry that I was envying these folks, you know, and calling you not right and you didn't treat me, you know, God, just forgive me for that. He said, God, who have I in heaven but you? And, and without you, there's nothing that this world has to offer that, that I can really want compared to you. I mean, everything that this world gives me is going to fail. 
It's going to fall away. It's temporary. God, you're eternal. God, you're what really matters in this life. You're what really matters. Not, not, my, not my, you know, the score of the, of, of the ball game or, or, you know, how I got promoted or, you know, just, you know, whether, whether we have this or that or the other. That doesn't matter, God. You're what really matters. My relationship with you and I don't, this world has nothing to offer me besides what I find in you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Yeah, I may struggle, but God, you're my strength. You're my portion. You're all I need. Have you come to a place where you can really say that? God, you are really all I need. Take it all away, God. It doesn't matter. You're all I need. I was talking with one of our church planters this week, and they have friends that are doctors from Peru. They'll call to go to the ministry, uh, do ministry in northern Iraq. So they moved to Iraq and there were doctors working there and sharing the gospel with many of their patients. And they were working there for many years and did not see one single person come to faith in Christ until recently a man heard the gospel, God moved in his heart, and he gave his life to Jesus. So, of course, they're very excited about his decision to follow Christ. But the moment he decided to follow Jesus, his life became like a living hell. It was terrible. Uh, his own family members trying to hunt him down and kill him because he had turned away from Islam to, to follow Jesus. And his wife asked him, he said, you know, you've lost everything for Jesus. She said, you know, we, we had this beautiful life, right? You had, we, we had this business, we had family, we had a great house, and now, now it's all gone. And he looked at his wife and he said, all I need is Jesus. I wonder if we could put you up next to this guy. Would you say the same thing? All I need, take it all away. All I need is Jesus Christ. The psalmist, he, Asaph, he kind of concludes with this beautiful statement. He said, to be near God is my good. Or some version, you might look at your Bible, what, it, what does it say? It says, it is good for me to be near God. It's good for me to draw near to God. You know, sometimes our disappointments draw us away from God, but we can draw near to him. Listen, today you can draw near to him. Through the blood of Jesus, through what Christ has done, you can renew your heart and renew your relationship with him because he has been good to you through the blood of Jesus. He holds you by his hand. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Ask God this morning, say, Lord, you search my heart, God. Are you first place in my life? Lord, is your grace and your mercy and your favor enough for me? And Lord, even in the struggle, Lord, show yourself to me again. Help me see you again.
sufficient for today whatever disappointments that we struggle with Lord your favor and your mercy and your grace is enough for us Lord who have we in heaven but you And without you there's nothing that we desire beside you Lord you are our strength and our portion And so, Lord, I pray for those in this room that are just struggling on the inside, maybe like Asaph, struggling with trying to understand it all. Or just remind us that you are enough and that you are all we need. And that, Lord, as we go into this week, that, Lord, we would keep you first in our life, center in our life, Lord Jesus that we would love you and worship you because one day we're going to stand before you and because of Christ, we're going to experience your grace and your kindness. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.